remember what you wanted to be like in high school? I'm going to share something with you all that, I, that I've never shared publicly, um, which is always a good thing to do. I wanted to be like a street gang member. Like, really, like, I wanted to be a gang member in high school. Uh, I, I dressed like a gang member. Uh, I talked like a gang member. I, uh, I listened to what I thought gang members, I mean, I didn't actually know any, but I listened to what I thought gang members probably listened to. I, wore, I had a Raiders hat. You remember I had a Raiders hat, and I'd wear it right or left because I wasn't 100% sure which gang I was in, but I just wanted to be, I wanted to be prepared in case either one of them actually wanted to recruit me. And so I had a... St- <laughs> I had, a st- <laughs> I had a starter jacket. I'm not kidding. Like, like, I'm not kidding. I mean, and I wanted to be like a gang member. And then I remember one night, I was riding around in my car, just, you know, bumping, just boom, just looking. I mean, I was looking hard, down, just driving down Pleasant Valley Drive, just looking for trouble, you know. <laughs> Hold on. That doesn't matter. So, but I, I was, that was dangerous. And so I remember my friend and I, we were about to go get in a fight. And my friend's name was James, and he wanted to be like a gang member, too. And uh, my friend looked at me and said, hey, man, because we were going to go fight a lot of dudes. He said, I know where we can get a gun. And I was like, oh, see, um, I want the gun, but I don't have time right now to go get it because I got to deal with some of my pagers going on. I got to deal, deal with some other things. See, the truth was, I didn't want the gun. I didn't want to do what a gang member did. I mean, I didn't want to shoot at anybody, and Lord knows I didn't want to be shot at. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really want to do I just wanted to act like a gang member. I didn't really want to be a gang member. I remember another night I was riding around, and my, my buddy and I had to go meet a guy. And some of you know what that means. When you got to go meet a guy, nothing, nothing good's about to happen. We got to go meet that guy. And so... We go down to meet this guy, and we're in the area where I believe gang members hang out. Now I'm scared to death. I'm like, dude, we got to hurry. We got to hurry. Because I didn't want to go where gang members went. I didn't want to be where gang members might be. I just wanted to act like I might actually be a gang. I didn't really want to do it. I just wanted to act like it. And some of you are like, oh, that's nonsense. And it may be, but I've seen you walking around town in your active wear. You've never... You've never sniffed a gym, but you're walking around wearing spandex, talking about walking through the grocery store like you just worked out. You, you never worked out. You're just wearing activewear. You're shopping for activewear and your activewear. You're not actually using it. So don't make fun of me. I see you. I don't see you in the gym. See you in the grocery store. I'd like an apple and a Twinkie in my activewear. You don't really want to go to the gym. You just want to dress like you go to the gym, right? In my high school, I had some boys who called themselves the Burley Bunch. By the way, just to clear this up, I went to PA, Pulaski Academy College Preparatory School. (laughs) So um, being a gang member wasn't really in my best interest. But there was a group of guys who called themselves the Burley Bunch, and they were cowboys. And they wore boots and overalls, and they they chewed back, and they'd walk around like this. They all lived in Chennault. Every one of them. They had a $60,000 truck that they'd thrown buckets of mud on to look like they'd done something. They weren't cowboys. They just wanted to act like it. They didn't want to do any blue-collar work. They wanted their daddy's trust fund, but they dressed like burly guys. Like, oh, you guys are real scary. The bad thing about wearing these disguises is eventually you will be exposed. 
God forbid a real gang fight had broken out. Because the fight would have been over there, and I would have been over there. <laughs> I was a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> I remember a real gang fight did break out one night, and me and two of my friends were there dressed like gang members, and they got beat up, and I ran. I was like, that's eh, bad for y'all, man. I'm going home. I mean, really, if real cowboys had shown up, these dudes would have been like, I'm sorry, can I park your horse? I mean, you know. If, if you're wearing a disguise, eventually you'll be exposed. And that's just the truth, man. Who you are will eventually come out regardless of who you say you are and who you try to convince people that you are. And so that, the reason I'm talking about all this nonsense is because we read the book of James this week. And if you read the book of James, James is a book about identity. James is a book about, about if you are who you say you are, then it's not just about you know, looking a certain way or listening to a certain thing or wearing. It's about real transformation inside of you about being who you say you are. Too many people want to be like a Christian when our call is to become like Christ. And those are two totally different things. And so James enters into this world, and if you don't know who James is, James is the the half-brother of Jesus. And you remember they have have different daddies because James, his dad, was a a man, and Jesus' dad was God the Father. right? So they, they have different dads, but... But James, we believe the author of the book, James, is indeed the brother of Jesus, James. Mary was a virgin when she had Jesus. But many people believe that later on Mary had other children. And if you're Catholic, I know I just offended you, and I, and I don't mean to. I'm just reporting history as, as we understand it. And whether or not I'm right or wrong, I don't know. But, but James, we believe, was the brother of Jesus, okay? And so James comes into the world, and I want you to hear how he introduces himself in James 1.1. It says this. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James says, this is who I am. I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he he wasn't just wearing a cowboy hat. He wasn't wearing a sideways Raiders hat with his pager clipped on it. Y'all want to hear another quick funny story? I didn't think about this in the first (laughs) one. This is true. One night I was uh, doing something stupid and I got arrested or whatever and I had... (laughs) I had on like MC Hammer wind pants, no shirt, and a Raiders hat with my pager clipped on it. And as the lovely policeman was escorting me to Pulaski County Jail, his last words were, they're going to love you. (laughs) I was very uncomfortable. (laughs) I was very uncomfortable with the arrangements. I'm sorry, this is not where I thought we were going. I ordered a larger room. I, mean, it's, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about now. Yeah, it's James. James was who he said he was. And you could tell by the way he lived and the way he acted and the way he did. It, it wasn't just something. It wasn't a disguise. He wasn't being fake. He was real. So real, in fact, that he calls himself a servant of Christ. That's his introduction. And it's cool because if you know the story of James, James didn't always believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. I mean, think about it. What would it take for your brother to convince you that he was the Son of God, that he was God? I mean, Jeff tried to convince us. He convinced mom. He convinced one of my brothers convinced mom, but he did not convince us. I mean, it would take a lot for your brother to convince you that he was the Son of God. And in John, in John 7, 5, it says this, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Jesus was walking around saying, hey, I am God. I am the Son of God. I came to save the world. And they were like, yeah, right. Come on, dude. 
At one point, he was doing miracles in his hometown, and his brothers got around him and was like, hey, why don't you go to Jerusalem and do miracles there? Because you're kind of embarrassing us here. Like, it doesn't make your family popular for one of the brothers to walk around and tell everybody he's the son of God. And so they were embarrassed. And then something happens. And in 1 Corinthians 15, we find out what happens. It says this, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. This is where it gets cool. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died to our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most who are still living. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one who was abnormally born. That's Paul. And he says, man... When Jesus died, he was resurrected. He didn't just walk in a room with three or four people. He appeared to hundreds of people. Like hundreds of people saw a resurrected Christ. And they're still alive. He's like, if you don't believe me, go ask them. And James, we believe, was one of those people who encountered a resurrected Christ. And when he encountered a resurrected Christ, he was changed. Not just his outfit. He didn't just start wearing affliction clothing. Like he was changed he became who he was always designed to be, and it was apparent in every aspect of his life. He didn't become like a Christian. He became like Christ. And in James, we can learn what it means to be changed. James was changed to the point where eventually for his belief and his faith, he was thrown out of the window of the temple, stoned to death when he hit the ground and beaten in the head with a club just for good measure before he was killed for Christ. Because he believed his brother was the son of God. Something happened. And when you encounter Christ, when it's real, when it's no longer a disguise, when you begin to, to take off the church clothes and really begin to build a relationship, when that happens, you will be transformed. And you won't just get a spiritual side Christ will invade every single part of your life. When you've encountered a, a resurrected Savior, James said it should change the way you talk. James 1 says, Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongue deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Ouch, 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 ouch. Religion, as James is describing it, is obedience to Christ, not, not you know, lighting candles and sitting around chanting. Man, I've struggled with this one. I still struggle with it. Just learning when to say when and when to, when to shut my stinking mouth. And like, it's, so, it's so difficult for us because the tendency is to pop off, and, and I've done this so many times, and I have to repent so often for this. But if I am changed, then it should change the way I speak. There should be a direction where I'm changing, and when I'm wrong, I at least realize I'm wrong. It should change the way I talk to my wife, and the way I talk to my family, and the way I talk to my friends, and, and the way I talk to those people who work with me, and the way I talk to the lady who works at Sonic, and the way I talk to the people at the cafe, and the way I talk to people who are voting a different way than me. It should change the way I talk to everyone, because Christ changes everything. And, 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 if, and if you claim to be of Christ... But you turn right back around and start gossiping and badgering people and talking terrible to your family, then something's not clicking yet. 
changes us. It changes the way we talk because it changes everything. But it doesn't just change the way you talk. It changes your action. James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, man. Be warm and well-fed. But you don't do anything for their physical need. What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. So he says, Good, good. I'm, I'm glad you can talk a good game. What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm glad you're in a small group. We just had all those, all those leaders up here. I hope every one of you is in a small group. But if all your small group does is sit around and talk about God, then something is missing. you got to go out and do something with what you know. Deeds matter to God. In James 1.27, religion that our God finds pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. He says, man, the, the religion, the obedience that he finds faultless is an obedience that does something. And, and if you're just starting on this journey, then, then you know, maybe you get a bit of a pass card, but you got to know where you're expected to end up. You're expected to end up doing something with what you know. And it does not matter. I mean, I, Bob Roberts taught me this saying a long time. It's so true. They don't care what we know if they don't know that we care. Can have all the theology in the world. If we're not doing anything for anybody, then our theology is pointless. We've been completely right and we've completely lost the war. What are you doing? It changes the way you read the Bible. When Christ transforms your life, it changes the way you read this book. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says, like someone who looks at their face in the mirror and after look at themselves, they don't even fix their hair. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed by what they do. I love that. He says, don't just listen to it and deceive yourselves. Sometimes I think we can deceive ourselves by saying, well, I'm reading the Bible. And he's like, great. Now what are you doing with what you've read? Reading the Bible is not enough. Just, just like listening to a message is not enough. Great, you listen to a message. Don't deceive yourself into thinking because you sat here and showed up and heard me that we've somehow done what God called us to do. There's supposed to be action associated with what we're hearing. Like, we're supposed to read this book as if the words of it actually have authority over our lives. Can you imagine? I, th I can't remember if it was Andy Stanley or Francis Chan. It's, it's hard to remember who I stole stuff from. But one of them... One of them said, can you, can you imagine telling your kid uh, to go clean your room? Like, I'll use Caden as an example back there. Okay, I say, Caden, go clean your room. And Caden comes to me three days later and said, Dad, I memorized that. Go clean your room. I learned it in Greek. I learned it in Hebrews. Um, me, me and my buddy Jordan, we sat around and we studied it and we dissected it. We now know what you meant. And I'm like, good, your room's still dirty, but you memorized my command. How often does God feel that way with us? Like, okay, good, you, you, you memorized it. Congratulations. <laughs> and I'm not saying that's bad. Gosh, memorize scripture. I want scripture written on my heart. I want it in my head. I want it flowing from my mouth. I, I, I want it before me of all. I, memorize it. But then do something with what you memorized. 
It should change the way you pray. If you've been transformed by God, it should change the way you pray, man. And I think, like, we get sort of satisfied with passive prayers. Like, you know, like, well, I pray. I prayed over my dinner, and I prayed the other day for that parking spot, and I pray occasionally. Like, that's, that's not the kind of prayer that connects you to God. That, that reminds me of when Christy will come to me and say, I don't really feel connected to you. And my response will be like, we've been in the same house together all week. Like, how can you not feel connected? I was watching TV. You were over there. How's that not connection? And, and, and for her, what she doesn't want is a bunch of passive 20-second conversations. She wants to sit down, eye-to-eye, look each other in the face and talk. And that's what's best for a relationship. And if you're in a relationship, you know that. Well, at least 50% of you do. The guys are like, uh-huh. <laughs> but I mean, it's the same thing with God. Like, what's good for a relationship is sit down eye-to-eye alone and talk. I went, I went to prepare sermons with my brother Jeff this past week at Lake Conway. And um, we sat down, and I was ready, and I was ready to start, you know, preparing all of 2020. And Jeff starts off by looking at me and going, how is it with your soul, little brother? And I was like, oh, <laughs> gosh, you've been doing this my whole life. Can't we just talk, man? But he starts off with this, how is it with your soul, little brother? And I was like, it's good, man. He was like, he said, how many hours a day are you praying? And I was like, hours? And he said, Tommy, don't ever confuse preaching with talent with preaching with power. He said, you'll never preach with power if you're not fully connected to the most powerful source in the world. And I said, I hate you so much. So much. <laughs> But he's right. Like, I don't, I want to preach with power, authority. And that happens the most when I'm the most connected to the most powerful, authoritative person in the world, and that's God. And so I'm rearranging my schedule to spend more time alone with him. Like, just sitting there, hour, hours. I don't know, I don't know where it's going to go. Just, if he is the chairman of this board, then it makes sense that I should be meeting with him more than I'm meeting with any other member of my team. And so that time is happening. It's transforming the way I pray. And I'm thankful that I had a brother who loved me enough to call me out. And so I love you enough to call you out. (laughs) That's how this works. (laughs) Call outs always trickle down. How much time are you spending with God in prayer? Stuff. James says God surrendering to him should transform the way you see your stuff. We still in this mentality. It's mine, mine, mine. He says, man, all good things come from God. If you've got something good, it's only because God gave it to you. And so James continues throughout this book talking about all these different things. And then he gets to my favorite thing, and it's James 1-2. And he says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So what James says is if you're, if you're fully surrendered to God, if you're connected to God, it even changes the way you see trials and struggles. Like God can take me to a place, if I'm fully surrendered to him, that every trial and every struggle is just God using these terrible things that happen to us in life, that God can use all of these things to allow me to love him more and to love you more. That any situation I face, no matter how difficult it is, on the other side of this situation, I have the power to love God more and to love you more. That nothing can steal that from me. That he can take you to a place where you are so surrendered to him 
doesn't mean you like the bad things. That's craziness. You shouldn't like the bad things. doesn't mean you walk around going, well, that was God's will. I'm happy. That's nonsense. It means you get to a point where everything creates more of a fire for God and more of a fire for God's people. And that's possible. And why does God want all these things for us? Why does God want to completely transform you? I was talking with a buddy of mine one day, and, and he was basically, you know, it's kind of offensive. You're always talking about God wants to change us. God wants to transform us as if we're broken. And my response was, well, yes, we're completely broken. We're not just broken. We're dead apart from him. I said, but there's another part of it. And James hits this so well. In James 1, 4, he said, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Why does God want to completely transform you? Why, let me ask you, why does God want to take everything from you? The answer, so he can give everything to you. Like he, just, just sit in this for a second. The God who spoke a universe into existence wants to make you complete. Like I don't know what complete means to God, but I'm guessing it's pretty cool. A God who's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end. He holds the keys to life and death. He swallows armies and he says, I want to make you complete. But I will not give you everything until you make room in your life. And so there's a challenge for you guys this week to invite God into your life. Every part of your life. But let's simplify the challenge a little bit since it's for a week. Invite God into that part of your life where you've never invited him before. He wants to be the God of your finances. Don't be like, well, I don't really want to do what, what those people do who are fully. I don't want to do that with my money. I don't want to fully surrender that. He wants to be the God of your relationships. So you have to make a decision. Do I just want to wear the outfit or do I want to do what people do with their relationships when they are fully and completely surrendered to God? He wants to be the God of your time. So you have to make a decision. Do I want to just wear the outfit or do I want to do what those people do with their time when they are completely surrendered to God? He wants to be the God of every single part of your life. And so the challenge this week is open up that one part of your life to him. And pray, talk to him like, the only way your heart, guys, you cannot bare knuckle it forever. Let me tell you that. If you are bare knuckling your way through some trial or through life or through some temptation, you will eventually fail. There's not enough guardrails in the world to override our ability to fail. You cannot bare knuckle it forever. There must be a time when your heart is transformed. And your heart is only transformed by spending time alone in the presence of the one who transforms hearts. So get alone with him. Invite him in. Begin to read this. Like, you don't need a Bible plan to read this. Just go back and read James again. And then ask God, God, what do you want me to do in that area of my life? And get ready for this. Here's the kicker. Then do it. Like, do it. Maybe not everything. Something. Open up some part of your life. Again, your finances, your time, whatever you're holding on to the most. You know what you're holding back from him. You know what, you know what it is. Whatever you're holding on to the tightest. Open up that part of your life to him. Invite him in and then do one thing he tells you to do in that part. And then take another step. Guys, this is not a costume party. This is the plan to save the world. And so you must decide. Am I going to act Am I going to play like a Christian? 
Or do I really want to become like Christ? Count the cost. Take off the mask. Get real with someone about where you really are. And then invite God into the areas of your life where you really need him. Amen.